And it's just uh, audio, correct, or is it video? It's as well? just audio, so yeah. Cool. So, so for your your comfort level, the, the the video is just between us. But if Bigfoot walks through the room behind you, I'm posting that. But other than that, we'll be good. <laughs> fair, fair. I've been trying to catch him for years. So On this know. episode of Playtime, the words and music of Texas-based singer-songwriter Clay Melton. I'm your host, W.C. Turk. We all need to have some time. I need you to get me there You know I'm not a traveler Yeah, I just want to run Leonardo da Vinci became a master painter at 20. Journeys and Neil Schoen turned down an offer to play with Carlos Santana at 16. The term prodigy becomes something of a pejorative, a way of negating intrinsic talent and the inherent and necessary exploration and experimentation of the art by a young artist. It's a proverbial pat on the head and you won't hear it uttered here. At 28, Texas-based blues rocker Clay Melton is making a definitive mark. Melton's cover of ZZ Top's Jesus Just Left Chicago climbed to the number one song in the world on the Roots Music Blues rock chart in June of 2022. He is open for Robert Cray, Night Ranger, and Grand Funk Railroad. That's the shortlist. His latest single, Alive on a Wire, carries the vocal power and musical muscle reminiscent of Joe Bonamassa. His website is claymelton.com, and you can find him also on TikTok at Clay Melton Band Official. Welcome, man. Hey man, how are you doing? Thanks I'm doing 
I'm doing wonderful. It's it, it's great to it's great to have you here. We're, we're going to work our way through your catalog a bit uh, and explore Clay Melton uh, and the and the band, a, a great band, and then we'll finish with your new single. Um, but let me ask you this: uh, since you're on TikTok with the government uh, banning uh, banning TikTok on on all their devices, does that affect Clay Melton's First Amendment right to rock government workers? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, honestly, um, I'll be very, very honest. And social media is uh, in the background of our minds, you yeah, know, of, yeah. of all this that we're doing. You know, we want to let the music speak for itself. And uh-huh. we're really about the live show, you know. The rest of that conversation, I don't think they're fixing anything anytime soon so they can talk <laughs> about it. <laughs> but it's not, but but social media is is necessary. I, I do I do a podcast for the Chicago yeah. Writers Association. Uh, I'm I'm a working artist. I, I speak with I speak with artists all over the world, musicians and uh, and and writers and uh, from from every part of the globe. They all have one thing in common, especially if they're not if they're not well. Even even some of the top tier. I just had a conversation with Martin Barr from uh, from Jethro Tull. Social media is an important aspect of his marketing plan as well, but it's even more important when you're either just starting out or you don't have a, a giant label behind you. And you as as an entrepreneur, which is one thing we always say to artists that you're an entrepreneur, entrepreneur first and, and an artist second. Well, um, you know, obviously it's it's massively it's a tool you can't ignore. Yeah. Uh, there's a uh, audience there that you're not going to get just by playing shows. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I say, you know, there's zero harm in doing it. And it's something you really should do if you're trying to market. Yeah. Um, you know, and you're totally correct. You know, every musician is, you know, you have to become a, a skilled businessman or entrepreneur, businesswoman at a, at any, um, yeah. at, at the point to where you want to start making it feasible in the long term. And wanted to get out there and, and do this on the road. Um, but I still try and put the music first and let that inform what's the best way to share this music that we are making. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like I said, social media is something you can't ignore. And we uh, we post on it. We share all our shows on it, you know. But uh, there's definitely a, a growing presence of musicians who have come from a different place than I personally come from. Yeah. And I don't think it's wrong because I don't think there's any wrong way to be creative in this yeah. world. I, I grew up playing in ice houses and then blues dives and uh, uh-huh. cutting your teeth to play in a crop spoil, whatever. And um, and then it's got to be a different world coming from posting in your bedroom, finding an audience just <laughs> there, and then going out and playing shows, you know. Um, yeah. Like I said, I don't think there's a wrong way about it. But just, you know, I think it's partly just the way I came up. Yeah, that keeps me focused more on the other aspects. So, how how are you learning the business side of this? Is it is it a trial and error? Are you, are are you kind of relying on some trusted mentors? How how is that coming together for you? Because you started out young, and then you started playing young, playing out young. Um, yeah. There's that youthful exuberance that's part of of the of the concert and playing experience particularly in front of a live audience you can get lost in that or or you can pair it with with a business acumen right mm-hmm. yeah i mean i well i think you have to 
And yeah. if it's not if it's not you as the artist, it needs to be somebody on your team. Um, yeah. You know, it's said by everybody. This 100% takes a team. And, you know, part of uh, the advice I give to musicians who are trying to learn musically growing up is getting in a room and playing with other players as soon as yeah. possible. Preferably players that are better than yourself. You're going to learn a lot. And all your experience and practice is compounded when in a live environment. Um, you're learning these uh, all these lessons at, a, at an accelerated rate. And same goes for learning the backside of, you know, if you're booking those shows yourself as well. Yeah. Uh, it really is trial and error because there's no uh, there's no set path for um, the music business. You got to get paid. And yeah. And, and, you know, I think something younger musicians discount from themselves is not asking for what they're worth because they want an opportunity to play. But there comes a part yeah. where you're providing a service through the musical entertainment. You know, you get paid yeah. just like a caterer. A caterer will get paid for their service at a party. You know, you're providing something to that environment. Yeah. Um. So that's that's just kind of like a fundamental thing. But, I uh, you know I've learned a lot doing this. Uh, me and my dad do this together, and he's helped manage the band. Right. And uh, and he runs his own business. Started his own business with mm -hmm. uh, my grandfather, and um, so he's a huge mentor to me. And we've navigated this industry for a long time, and have built that strong team. Our tour manager is my best friend from um elementary uh, mm -hmm. Kyle Tom Chesson was one of the first guys I ever played with and uh and he's a great musician himself and has tour managed for country artists here in Texas and um and is really that guy I can trust to represent us mm -hmm. to the the venue owners and people on the road because it's very important to us I think it should be very important to any artist if you take your music seriously yeah. you need yeah. to take the business seriously yeah. and you have to you know, treat the people you do business with with the respect that you would treat people you play music with. There's a uh, I'm I'm gonna do kind of a shameless plug here for for a friend uh, who's written maybe maybe the best uh, the best book on on the music business or contemporary music, and that's the indie band survival guide by yeah. Jason Feehan. You got it. Okay. Jay, <laughs> yeah, I uh, read it. It's great. Yeah, they're they're and and so the, their follow up to that book uh, has. Uh, um, how to make money in music uh, has uh, has tips on getting insurance and and all these uh, <laughs> yeah so and and how to and how to do merch without mm -hmm. without the without the big outlay of and and warehousing of a product that there are services out there that'll yeah. do that for you. I just want to get that plug in. I also wanted to get your reaction to uh, to this Alex Jones's claim that all artists are asked to pledge themselves to Lucifer before signing record deals. <laughs> had, had you had you heard about that i hadn't heard that i mean it's a it's a hot take on a classic story <laughs> though yeah yeah <laughs> man sure why not if you want to believe that go ahead <laughs> i'm gonna stop you <laughs> all right all right uh well we'll move on to some some Yeah. 
coming along from the uh, from an impressive legacy uh, of, of music stars in in Texas. I'm just going to give a partial list here, and I, I, I want to get, get part of your reaction to this. Selena, Barry White, Billy Preston, Waylon Jennings, George Strait, Roy Orbison, Buddy Holly. All these people came from Texas. Lyle Lovett, Kelly Clarkson, yeah. Pan, uh, Pantera, England Dan, and just uh, John Ford Coley. I just had uh, John Ford Coley on uh, on the show a, a few weeks ago. Janis Joplin, uh, and this one I know, I know you'll appreciate Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, most of the names you said, uh, you can't grow up in Texas and not hear yeah, growing up. Yeah. And, you know, it, Texas has such a rich music history um, in various places in the state Yeah. Um, that have caused, I mean, there's been, you know, throughout the decades of music history, there have been just s- s- movements that happened in, you know, in Austin, the yeah. rich blues history of Houston, you know, Lightning Hopkins. Uh-huh. Um there's there's no shortage. And uh, you know, for me growing up playing in Houston when I start first started playing outside of the garage with my friend Kyle and <laughs> uh, you know, we graduated from crawfish boils and block parties to trying to go out to open mics and go to jams. My dad would take me to these uh would drive me to these jams because I couldn't get in myself. Yeah. And uh, you know, the scene was very accepting and supportive and I was lucky to be around some mentors early on in those environments where we they let me up on stage and carlos johnson was a percussion player here in houston congos by carlos okay and um but fantastic guy really nice and he was a band leader of a, a couple of these jams and so mm-hmm. i uh learned a lot of lessons early on with him mm-hmm. about sharing about stage etiquette and uh listening you know keeping your eyes open when you're playing with other people and um which is something so easy to miss when you are first moving in from that stage of playing just with yourself or just with a friend and, and uh, then going up on stage and yeah. playing with people you've never met before. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm really thankful that that was there, you know, and I, I still think that Houston has that to offer to people coming up and Austin is obviously flooded with fantastic musicians. Opportunity can be scarce because of that in Austin. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, um, it's, there's a lot more almost frailty um, to that environment because of how much, uh, musical influence is going into it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you do you remember that that first time that you got up on stage and the feeling that you had? Yeah, it was just so much fun. Yeah, and uh, and it's really like I was already uh, hooked and kind of addicted to playing guitar okay. and jamming and stuff like that. Yeah. And then I fell in love <laughs> with playing live, which I didn't know would be a different, so much of a different thing, uh-huh. and so much of an exhilaration. And so it's definitely been part of what's been chase, kept me chasing this. I think because yeah. it's it's the live aspect is the payoff um, to me. That's the most rewarding. Yeah, uh, getting to travel and doing new places, getting to do new new people. The people in a room when they're listening to music can be from any walk of life and have various opinions, um, but you know they all come together uh, around music. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Talking about the blues, uh, Martin Barr is is a is a great friend. He's been on the show half a dozen times and he talks about learning blues progressions when he started out and i'm thinking of back to blue the title track off of your ep when your heart's down on the ground you don't know what else to do 
When your heart's down on the ground Your love left you for someone new Unwind your mind Baby, you're back to blue As your man left you high and dry You don't know what else to do Pour yourself some cheap Where did you pick up your blues chops? Because you got them down, man. Thanks, man. Playing from here in Texas. Yeah. You know, for me, it was I got so heavy into Hendrix, and that's what made me want to play guitar. Yeah. And so I went back to his influences when I would read interviews, listen to interviews uh, that uh, that were available of him uh, speaking about influences, songs he would cover, uh-huh. you know, and same for uh, Stevie Ray. I got him into him shortly after Hendrix. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's, it, you know, I, I, and I've said this in other interviews, but it's just true. It's It was Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan and Led Zeppelin, you know, kind of a whole classic rock and blues trilogy. Uh, Holy Trinity and then uh, ZZ Top and really all their influences that I could learn about kind of sent me all the way back through blues music history and rock and roll mm-hmm. and then you know forward into bands that I would find out kind of shared their sound that were contemporary and I, you know from that time from early on when I was learning blues and just playing that all the time I also fell in love with music history and that's something that's pushed me to different styles, you know, throughout the years. Outstanding, outstanding. You're you're gonna like some of the observations I have about uh, "Burn the Ships" um, ah. and some of the songs <laughs> songs on that coming up in in just a minute here. Was that the first song that you that you released commercially? That was a very Back very early on. Twenty sixteen, yeah. yeah. Yes, we we recorded one uh, EP, and we actually recorded that in Austin with uh, Sebastian Cure, who uh, had uh-huh. he mixed live uh, in Texas and uh, yeah. live on a wire. Um, and yeah. since moved back to Columbia, and uh, so that was the start of that relationship. But I, I saw I saw that 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 didn't make it on Back to Blue. Yeah, we uh, I mean, Back to Blue was recorded gosh almost five years later um and yeah. uh, so we just kind of ditched those songs and moved forward that ep was you know it was four songs and um uh-huh. we've taken it down most places uh and kind of just restarted with burn the ships but uh you know that ep was before i had gotten the current band that's been on the mm-hmm. uh the uh releases since and um it's bluesier it's it's a bluesier it's yeah. a bluesier sound and i I'd, I'd say it's it's 
it's a more focused EP, and we'll talk about this in more detail with Burn the Ships, uh, where where you're kind of flexing your musical muscle. Yeah. Yeah. You also had a great cover that I mentioned in the in the intro of uh, the ZZ Top song, uh, Jesus Just Left Chicago. Jesus just left Chicago And he's bound for New Orleans Well now Jesus just left Chicago Why that song in particular? We had been considering doing a cover um, okay. on, on Back to Blue, and uh, uh, I was thinking something that our audience here in Texas would really yeah. enjoy, uh, yeah. and that are also just you know worldwide blues lovers know yeah. and love ZZ Top, and I'd always love that song and how it comes into it from Waiting for the Bus. I love that album. It and, fits. Uh, it fits really nicely on uh, on Back to Blue with great great blues tunes like Texas Cyclone uh, and Say That You Love Me. It it just uh, it it kind of clicks. It's it's a, that same that same feel. I, yeah, and you know, I have to give it to Danny Jones, the producer, for because uh -huh. uh, I think what really uh, glues that together and gives it cohesiveness is, yeah. is the sonic the sonic aspect of it and the tonality. Mm -hmm. And what's happening um, with the tones and textures. But, you know, I'd always love that song and had imagined a rocked up version of it. Yeah. Um, and doing yeah. doing it our own way. And then um, in between the time that we finished tracking it, we had finished cutting it. But before we released it, Dusty Hill passed away. And so then we were able to, you know, now we play it as a tribute at the concert. You know, yeah. uh, we say it's, it's a favorite to play, you know, even though it's a cover. That's a great. It's a great song, and it it fits your repertoire perfectly, your style perfectly. Um, we we should mention the band. Uh, I guess this is a perfect yes. place. Talk about what what really is essentially a power trio. Correct. Yep. Uh, we've been a been a trio uh, for all these recording processes. Yeah. And um, Zach Grindle is the the drummer, and I've been with him for coming up on nine years now. He's a great drummer. Yeah. He's a fa fantastic. You know, the first time we ever spoke, whenever uh, I found actually met him through Sebastian Cure, uh, right after we finished that EP in 2016. Okay. We had something happen with uh, the drummer that was going to record. He had to, he had to bust, he had to leave and couldn't make the session uh, like a week before it was happening. And then we uh -huh. had a studio cat, uh, Ram Gov, who's a drummer from uh, Israel, living in um, Austin, Texas, uh -huh. came in with you know a couple days notice and just crushed it. But I was looking for a drummer after that, and Sebastian Cure introduced me to his buddy uh, Zach, who had just gotten out of the army, and uh, he's he's about nine years older than me. Um, but we just kind of clicked instantly. You know, I remember asking him on the phone, you know, what what are you into? And he said, I like John Bonham. I like to hit my drums loud, and uh, yeah, he, did, rock he and does. Roll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, all right, <laughs> sounds like a match. And uh, so he's been great, man. Uh, uh, you know, 
never had a problem, man. We've spent a lot of time on the road. And you tried yeah. out, uh, you tried a couple, a, a couple base players, and ended up with uh, Raymond Minton, right? Uh, Raymond Minton was on Burn the Ships and uh, a couple tracks on Back to Blue, and then okay. he's now fronting his own band called The Posers. Okay. And uh, so we brought in Zach Cox about a year and a half ago. Got and it. I've known Zach since middle school, and we played in a band, uh, in, in a metal band in high school, along with Kyle, our tour manager. And so we had, we had it was right when the pandemic was ending, um, uh-huh. or things were opening up down here. And um, and so we met at a friend's wedding, and uh, I was looking for bass player, he wasn't doing anything, so it worked out. And he's been such a great addition to the team, and he helped yeah. us write, yeah. write and arrange uh, Live in Texas. Um, mm-hmm. That was his first release that, he's with, that he was on with us, and uh, is working on all the new songs. And great, yeah. great addition to the team. And and I loved uh, live in Texas. I, I'm I'm a little I, I'm a little wary sometimes of of live uh, of live albums because I'm 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 so much into into the studio material, and it always seems to fall short. You guys have have a really dynamic sound, and that and I think that really comes through in your live sets. And that power is fully on display in live in Texas, specifically uh, imaginary traveler. I, I would love to just for my my own benefit to talk about that song. That's become my favorite off of uh, live in Texas. I've always loved, um, especially, you know, being the type of person that enjoys listening to bands with a lot of instrumentation. I yep. love listening to a live album yeah. that has songs that I already know from the studio album. So you can kind of hear the progression of those tunes or how they change yep. it up and appreciate those things. And so, you know, the decision to do Live in Texas came about in a couple of ways, you know, in the mm-hmm. studio processes leading up to it. A lot of the conversations were around how do we really capture this live sound yeah. that we have? Because yeah. um, that's the that's what we're all about, and that's what we want to come through. And you know, there's various ways to go about that. And I'm really happy with how Back to Blue uh, came out, uh, considering that to be the last uh, studio release for the live album. But mm-hmm. in addition, the pandemic was ending, and we were ready to get back out on the road. But wanted to put some new music to push out. Mm-hmm. Had some new songs. And we also wanted to sound live, so we said, "Let's just do it live," you know. <laughs> and um, and you know, the thing I did not want to be doing is overdubbing or dressing up a live album six months after it was cut. You know, yeah, we cut it yeah. in one live show, one night. You know, which is very much, you know, hope you like what you recorded. And I'm very happy with how a lot of it came out. But at the same time, it kind of leads to like what what our process is now for what's happening with our new songs is yeah. Some of those songs or all the new songs that we released on live in Texas, when we recorded them, it was the very first time they'd ever been performed live as well. 
And so then we had a year of touring and uh, playing those tunes and letting them grow even more. And so a couple of those were re-recording here as a part of the next album. Yeah, I was gonna um, I was gonna ask you because it, it, yeah. there there could be a tendency for those for those great songs like like Imaginary Traveler to get to get lost yeah. um and not and not be appreciated as as the standalone pieces that they that they they are. It, uh, exactly. And that's part of our thinking. And you know, I also this is less of a you know, I think the business sense of, of what we're doing and more of the artist sense mm -hmm. for me is that I feel like there's no punctuation on the sentence of those songs without doing a studio version. Yeah, and also yeah. considering that they've grown um, in themselves, you know, I want to see them put out in the state that they're in now, you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just the opposite experience of what I like uh, yeah. that I was talking about, you know, just being able to hear the live version first and then hear it dressed up which will keep keeps us honest too when we're in here we're not you know it's not like burn the ships where it's it could be any kind of band uh, -huh. uh, uh we're, we're keeping it true to you know how we did it live but just being able to take time um with each instrument and yeah you know the luxury is with live on a wire we recorded it right here in my living room uh -huh. um and sent it off for mixing and we're doing that for everything else going forward so we have the luxury of stepping away you know sleeping on it and making sure that we're really happy with what we're uh putting out there and a couple of those songs, three, four, five, ten albums from now, will be uh, will will be great on the on the best of, right? Yeah, yeah, the live <laughs> best of. <laughs> there you go. I mentioned uh, Joe Bonamassa in uh, in my intro. Uh, you've talked about guitar influences, and we're going to talk more about about your guitar influences, uh, Hendrix and Stevie Stevie Ray Vaughan. Um, but do you have a vocalist that you draw? inspiration from yeah i'm plenty um yeah. i definitely was influenced and I, I get compared sometimes because of the rasp and and breathiness to, to john mayer okay um although i'm much uh more of aggressive singer yeah and our styles are obviously different but you know i've all like freddie king um, I've always loved the way he delivers vocals and a lot of the blues influences, you know, it's all about feeling, mm -hmm. um, which for me, not, I was not a born singer, you know, I wasn't, uh, just born singing scales well. <laughs> um, and I had to work <laughs> on it a lot, a lot, a lot, uh, after I get, I learned the guitar really, cause I wanted to sing these songs I was writing and wanted to perform. Yeah. And so it was a lot easier for me to to dig into the idea of i especially singing blues as a young white kid in texas i you gotta feel it <laughs> you know you gotta you gotta be real with it mm -hmm. um and because it, if it's not real then it's it's what are you doing yeah and yeah. um and so a lot of the singers i think that have influenced me like i said freddie king and uh, a lot of blues singers steve ray Vaughan was kind of the same way you know he mm -hmm. was he was melodic, but uh, had a lot of attitude to his vocals. That's kind of the side of a lean towards. Uh, way outside of that, I love Stevie Wonder. I love Nina Simone. Um, nice. A lot of a lot of singers that I'm nothing like, but uh, I've definitely you know spent a lot of time listening to, and I'll try and sing anyways. Yeah. Um, just just to explore.
Burn the Ships feels like an amalgamation, a, a declaration of sorts. So you're basically you're saying, yeah, bitches, this is what I can do. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely yeah, nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. the way it came out is always reminding me of like our Robin Trower Bridge of Sides moment. And, you know, especially... man, you do know your rock and roll history. <laughs> I love it all, man. <laughs> and I think that the way that Love Out Loud comes out, that's the most like prog rocky tune. Okay. Maybe on the album. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was the edited version. It was very ambitious before is the way the uh -huh. producer Dan, Work Dan Workman described the demo as ambitious. <laughs> um <laughs> so we added some things out with that uh, what i really just wanted to say is that i think that was just another exploration for us on that album yeah, we wanted to yeah. try and push ourselves uh -huh. and um the jam was one of those things where love aloud was very arranged where we went in but burn the ships was probably the least arranged thing we had yeah and yeah. we cut we cut it completely live in the room together and it said all right that's it we yeah like it. Let's talk about Wind and Wave. What was, were horns part of the original vi vision for that song? Yes. Um, okay. But, wow. they, but they were not recorded first. Um, okay. And so whenever we wrote the song back in 2016, 2015, uh -huh. I had a demo on Logic, which is we heavily demoed that album before we went in because we really recorded it in. Yeah. seven or eight days doing a song a day and restarting with the drum tones every day because the intention was to skip around stylistically tonally and um not so much to say hey here's everything that we can do but i i didn't that early on with our first album i didn't want to be pigeonholed and i also yeah, to see yeah. what, people, what what people reacted to mm -hmm. um and doug and and that kind of informed our next steps but um but it kind of shows the full spectrum of what you're capable of doing. It, it, I mean, it's definitely, um, we didn't let genre define us on that one. Yeah. And, uh, it allow, I mean, it allows you to go in any number of directions. Yeah. And being that we were a young band at that point, it didn't have yeah, yeah. a national audience to push it to. It was kind of the perfect time to do so. Cause who's going to say anything, you know, I'm just glad yeah, if you yeah. listen to it. And so I'm, I'm really glad we ended up doing that. Mm -hmm. But uh, with, with Wind and Wave, I had programmed some horns 
and they didn't sound great, but I was like, horns here, <laughs> something like that. And then Gary Weldon um, wow. wrote the horn arrangement. Uh, he played trombone and then Jay Hen or sorry, he played trumpet and then uh, Jay Henry played trombone. Yeah. And uh, man, he came in with the score or he sent me the sheet music. And I was like, I think that looks like it sounds good. I'm okay, reader. <laughs> but, then, but then we went in to cut it and uh, I, I didn't have a note to change on his arrangement. into the uh, process because he was uh, Zach Grindle's band leader when yeah. he was in school. And he actually just joined us last weekend for our second annual. We do a Clay Melton Friends concert here, yeah. which the first annual was where uh, Live in Texas was recorded at in okay. Dosi Do in the Woodlands. And so uh, Gary Weldon actually came up and he's a fantastic uh, harmonica player too, blues harp. And he came up and uh, joined us uh, just last week for a few numbers. Um, so, so burn the ships kind of kind of showcases you as a guitar player, and then and then tra- transitions in into love out loud. So, for sheer guitar playing, your your metal or your your bluesy or or blues metal stuff is is probably the best example I can give of a, a of of a showcasing of of that aspect of Clay Melton. I love the power and drama behind Battlefront. Here on this day, we stand upon this misty battlement. Here we meet our foes. Black is their soul, and dark is their world. experimenting with different themes in your repertoire but there's always that inherent drama in your music and the character of your guitar player uh, i'd love to explore that where that drama comes from because a lot of musicians don't have that man what is clay melton searching for musically or as a guitar player i think uh the drama comes from really wanting that moment that happens in a live show yeah and it happens on both sides of the stage it yeah it's on stage behind the instrument it happens in the crowd when you make that stank face you're like yeah oh. yeah 
Yeah. And uh, and that can be caused by exciting drama, dark drama, mm-hmm. you know, just something that is uh, undeniable in feeling. And... There's a crescendo. There's a relationship that that builds off of that between you and, and the audience, right? Uh, oh, oh, 100%. Especially yeah. if, you know, we execute the moments leading up to it. Yeah. And, you know, I think the reason that we get to those dramatic points is and this is the power of like you were talking about earlier, self-editing is knowing how to build that crescendo together mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. take it to that moment, but don't overdo it always. You know, yeah, yeah. you don't have to hold on to that moment for three minutes and 30 seconds. Yeah. You know, uh, it can just be a 15 second part of that song and mm-hmm. make the song. You know? Those are the best musical moments that, yeah. that, that, that they, they come and go or, or you, you know where they're coming in a, in a bridge or in a refrain, but, you you don't exhaust an audience with with keeping them at that level, right? Exactly. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. And that and that is another thing that comes with years of playing in live audiences. Before yeah. we started doing this, is you know they'll, they'll get tired if you play twelve shuffles a knee in a row. You know. <laughs> <laughs> In the song Rain, you build off an opening that Stevie Ray Vaughan would have been proud of. I, I, I sort of feel that you channeled his spirit in that opening. Well, thanks, man. Uh, that, that obviously means a lot to me <laughs> um, as a lover of his music. But, uh-huh. I still remember exactly where I was sitting when I wrote that song. And I was sitting outside of our, we had a, a great uh, yeah. Uh, brick building that we had a rehearsal studio outside of and uh-huh. i was sitting uh under like on the back of my car kind of like a yeah. truck bed and um it just started raining while i was playing guitar outside yeah. nothing yeah. like extremely uh, dramatic but that riff came out right about then and um and the song really got written pretty fast but then it took a long time to arrange what what uh, is your writing process? Because you you said you you've gone from from I to we. So is is there yeah. a collaboration with with the band? Um, do you come up with with a with a melody or a riff or, or a moment and then and then bring that to the band and then you all kind of build off that idea? How does how does um, that work? So ideas will start from anywhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I'll either have a lyric. Uh, but before I bring anything to the band, yeah. I usually have a verse and a chorus at least or something, if not the verses, the whole song through just mm-hmm. on guitar and vocals. Um, but then we go into, we arrange everything as a band, you know? Mm-hmm. It's very rare that lyrics get written with the band because mm-hmm. um, they're either already there. We'll focus on the music and then whenever I got that, then I'll kind of sit with it and write lyrics. Every song gets taken from whatever state I have it in to 
to the band and we re- rearranged it in the room, you know. Really, that's exactly how Live in Texas happened. Really, all those songs got written probably in the three or four months prior to the recording. Wow. Um, I was writing a lot. Uh, Double Done, I wrote on the piano and then brought to the band. And um, it, so it was all being written kind of just on the fly. And then we'd get in the, the room and arrange all night, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're, we're building here to Alive on a Wire. homage to Jimi Hendrix with some powerhouse guitar playing. Talk about how that song came together. I just came up with the riff. I remember it was was outside that same rehearsal space and um, I had the riff and a couple lyrics and stuff like that, but I just wanted to do something just in your face, you know? Yeah. You can uh, I, I you guess... can feel you 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 can you can taste that that Hendrix sound those those Hendrix chords, um, but you don't. It's not like you're channeling your your kind of exalting. I I, I hear what you're saying, especially in yeah. the style of the licks and stuff like that. But what yeah. the song's arrangement eventually comes out to. It's kind of a madness that because um, there's a lot of noise at the end too, <laughs> which uh, I, maybe is is. Uh, me leaning into the electric lady land era of Hendrix stuff. But, um, <laughs> it's just the, enough of an accent. It's just a, just a, per, a perfect amount of, of accent to that song. Thanks, man. It was the first song we recorded for burn the ships. Uh, and we okay. kind of let that inform. Uh, we wanted to try working in that studio, Sugar Hill studios. Uh, yeah. And with the team that we cut it with. Yeah. Um, Steve Christensen engineer, Josh mm-hmm. Appleby drum engineer, and Dan worked and produced. And, uh, mm-hmm. and we cut that song in one day. And, and it was a couple, two, three months later, we went in and cut the rest for in the ships. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was kind of like the uh, flag in the ground for that <laughs> album. You know? I've got a secret
Secrets pulls us deftly into the new single. Um, it, yeah. It's a tough, hard as nails tune. Lyrics or, or music first on, on that one? How, how did that song come together? Well, kind of same time. Yeah. Um, I remember just doing the intro. You know, uh, the intro is very, very simple musically. So it, I was just kind of sitting on the couch. I remember just doing those two chords back and forth and then just started singing some things. Mm-hmm. And then um, the riff and the riff and more musical, uh, musically involved stuff came around when we arranged it in the room yeah. together as a band. So, uh, so Alive on a Wire uh, was just released. That's going to be part of a, of a, of a larger album. Correct. Do you have a release date for that album? Uh, we do have a, a range that we're putting out there right now. There's a couple okay. things up in the air, so we're keeping the date okay. for now. But, uh, but, by the end of this year, maybe first couple months of 24, depending on some things. But, um, yeah. you know, this year uh, we're recording the rest of the album the same way that we record it live on the wire. Like I said, right behind me in this living room. Huh? Um, and that's for several reasons. You know, like I said, there's the luxury of being able to give the, t- the songs time they deserve to be able yeah. to sleep on them and come back, recut drums if we need to and not mm-hmm, have to pay for mm-hmm. another day in the studio. <laughs> um, and also being able to be as experimental as we want, you know, it's not that we don't like working with another producer in the room, because I think having, uh, especially when the producer only comes in for the recording process, and hasn't been exposed to the song so much like we have when we're just writing and arranging. Mm-hmm. But you know, we get feedback from uh, Sebastian Keurig, who's mixing it for us uh, mm-hmm. down there in Barakia, Colombia, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's you know we've worked with him so long that he really knows he's so damn close on his first mixes when he sends them back to us because he, yeah. he just knows what yeah. we dig you know but you, you you get good sound where wherever you're recording it at you're getting great sound everything is crisp and neat your guitar is so crisp on alive on a wire but all of the instrumentation the bass the drums the vocals all come through as crystal clear you guys are you guys are getting some great sound where you're where you're recording thanks man i mean i'm very grateful that we're uh equipped to Uh do this ourselves i by no means have top of the line uh gear but we have enough to make it work and you know we use like our drum recordings are really just the live rig that we use when we go tour um they're dynamic mics um and Obviously, it 100% goes most of the props to Sebastian mixing right. it and really giving everything its its proper uh, space in the mix. But we really try hard, you know, uh, especially me having worked with Sebastian before, and he's such a talented engineer, um, a great engineer. And, you know, I, uh, I'm i just trying to do the best I can, but I, I've, I've never learned to do this really professionally. And so I'm very, uh, very focused on not handing something to Sebastian that he's like, oh man, I'll try, you know? <laughs> um, I, I want to be proud of, of what we're sending him and make the job easy for him in the mixing. And so we, we take a lot yeah. of care into trying to get the best recording we can here. That's such a key and relationship. Think, oh, hundred percent. You know, having a producer mixing engineer that understands what you're going for. Yeah. Cause it's like music. There's no rules. There's no right or wrong way, but there's a lot of taste. I think one of those people that if you can find early on in your team yeah. when you're growing yeah. as an artist is is key. 
Outstanding. Rock and roll is not dead. The torch has been taken up. Texas-based Clay Melton's latest single is Alive on a Wire. His website is claymelton.com, and you can find him on TikTok at Clay Melton Band Official and on YouTube at Clay Melton Band Official. Uh, also on Facebook at Clay Melton Music and at claymeltonmusic.bandcamp.com. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving some off the table, uh, but we'll we'll post what we can, uh, and we'll post all those links in the notes below because that's what we do. Um, thanks, man. This the, this was brilliant. I, I, I can't wait to see what Clay Melton is going to do next. I appreciate you having me on, man. I, I really enjoyed the talk. We're going to be up in Chicago area soon. Uh, my, my sister actually lives up that way. Nice. Uh, but, but we're playing there, I know, in Reggie's in Chicago. Reggie's and then, uh, is a we're, great hall. Yeah. We've never been there. Uh, yeah. We're excited. And then we're playing a music festival in Kankakee. 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 Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now I know. Now I know. There you go. Uh, <laughs> so we're playing. It'll be, there, it'll uh, be easier, to, easier to find on the map. <laughs> yeah. No lie. <laughs> but uh, hopefully we can uh, catch up uh, sometime when we're up there. I really. Oh, be brilliant. It. Be be wonderful. But uh, but Reggie's is a great hall. I mentioned Martin Barr. He that's his that's his go to now. Uh, he's played you know seventy hundred thousand seat halls. He loves the intimacy of Reggie's and 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 small clubs. He would have it no other way, but uh, awesome. it, it, it'll, it'll be great to see you up here. Clay Melton, thank you so much, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks to Clay Melton and to all of you for listening. Please share this podcast and don't forget to hit the subscribe button for future programs and notifications on upcoming programs and shows. For Playtime, I'm W.C. Turk. It's crazy, I don't mind.